Hi, and welcome back to Stand Partners for Life. I'm Nathan Cole. And I'm Akiko Taramoto. And uh, I'm, I'm still feeling the effects of a team training workout that you dragged me to at the gym today. Well, I, I went willingly. That's true. You, you're you actually, you're a, a real stickler for form. And, uh, <laughs> well, I used <laughs> to, weight out. training used to be a, a bigger thing with me. I, I will admit that the uh, kid schedule has dampened my spirits on that a little bit. And, um, and your willingness to let me go to the gym has cut into your own time, so. Yeah, that's fine. Well, I pretend that that's a big sacrifice. No, I, I, I do like the gym. It's sometimes a love-hate thing. But um, it was really fun to go this morning, and trying these classes has been great. I love the the idea of seeing a routine on the board that everybody has to follow, and you, you know, you're constantly rotating activities. I, yeah, I should practice that way. I should have a, a whiteboard. Well, I was thinking, I mean, yeah, if if I could develop some kind of routine that would really you know, be fun and have a lot of variety and that you could move through every day. That would be amazing, right? For me. And true. For I mean, it's, you know, working out is probably not that fun. It's kind of the same, like, you know, <laughs> when I'm doing it, I'm really wishing it would end. So it's not that different from practicing. <laughs> yeah, especially these. I mean, what what kills me is what she was calling the finisher. So after nearly an hour <laughs> of working out, it's you figure they were handing out ice cream at the end. <laughs> Yeah, or something. <laughs> I, I, yeah, or stickers, or, you know, yeah, frappuccinos. Um, or yeah, this was just what stickers. was it? It's like fifty jumping jags of fifty, forty, thirty, twenty, ten, something. But then it's like even if you got through all that, then Your you're just supposed to, to start over at the beginning. Yeah, you're supposed to just keep doing that until five minutes was up. And yeah, it's like your finishers, like uh, five minutes of thirds. And yeah. Thirds and five keys. and then. That's what I was doing last week when I was trying to record that. Kudos. <laughs> I, I definitely spend more time in the gym than in my practice room. So. Maybe it's just that time of life. and Actually, that, yeah. that's partly what we're going to talk about today. Giving up on your playing. No. <laughs> I don't think you've reached that point yet. I haven't given up. I'm starting. Starting right now. Well, um, I got a great comment on... Um, the episode that they had been listening to and left a comment, which is awesome because I love reading those comments. Um, I read them on iTunes. I read them on standpartnersforlife.com. And um, in this case, I had to respond because, um, so this was from Helen Smith and um, she really gave us the idea for, for this week's episode. She said, I just thought of a topic I would appreciate you addressing that might be controversial and or sensitive, although I do not intend to ruffle anyone's feathers, so to speak. Is it true... So you haven't read this comment yet. No. You're hearing this for the first time. Is it true that professional orchestral players over the course of their career lose their technique because they're more focused on learning orchestra music than retaining the technique they built up when they were in a conservatory? Obviously, professional musicians still are really good, incredible players. And she notes that this whole topic idea came to her because she was reading a discussion forum on violinist.com. And that's a site where I read those forums pretty regularly too. So I went through that thread myself and kind of picked out some some questions and comments that caught my eye. And that's what we're going to talk about. By the way, about. Nathan, you have an incredibly thick skin for 
comments and forums where I would probably <laughs> make it about about two or three, two or three people in, and then I would, I would probably start having a stroke and have to stop reading. <laughs> I didn't always. I I kind of lost my cool. Well, when I first started reading Violinist.com, I think it was probably the first discussion forum I ever read, and I, I didn't really get <laughs> what the whole thing was about. You know, I'd, I'd read something and be like, oh, I can't believe this person, you know, I'd read something that was just a, like a really mean and, and not very helpful comment to someone else. And I'd take it upon myself. I think, you know, how could this person say this thing? I can't believe this exists in print, you know, or on the screen, on the internet for all time, I have to correct it. And, you know, I'd never heard of a troll before. And, uh-huh. you know, I'd do this late at night and uh, really nothing good. So you would answer? Yeah, I'd answer, you know, really angrily and you know, I have the real information. How dare this person? And it's like, right. yeah, that's not my job. And right. Well, not. anyway, so you, it's, it's great that you have the fortitude. And well, it's a, you know, it's, it's a great site. It's a massive site. And of course, um, you know, we know uh, the founder, Lori Niles, right here with us in Pasadena. So um, she does a great job with the site, allowing, you know, real discussions to, to go on. And, and then you know, just stepping in when things stop being helpful. And and this was a great discussion, actually. It was a long one with lots of replies. And um, so what do you think about that overall question? Um, you know, is it true that pro orchestra players eventually lose their technique? I guess that's the first question. Yeah, there are a few parts to this. But I would say, sadly, generally, the answer to that's probably yes. Um, yeah, but I mean, couldn't we say that... I mean, doesn't anybody lose their technique? That's true. I mean, there's don't? a certain amount of just time starts taking its toll on everybody, right? And Yeah, in fact, in a recent episode when uh, Brant Taylor, our, our old friend and colleague, the cellist in the Chicago Symphony, came on, he, he, was, he couldn't remember exactly who said it in the CSO, but they had a saying, as soon as you stop betting, getting better, you start getting worse. It's like wine. <laughs> I do think about this a lot. I definitely think there's, you know, there's factors that contribute to maybe a slightly steeper decline than, than if you were, say, a soloist or a chair musician or, or keeping up your chops on your own as opposed to going to an orchestra and playing every day. Yeah, I, I think so too. I tend to agree. But but go on, like, what, what are those factors? Why is it different for orchestra players? Well, the, the most obvious, I think, is that, and I'm talking about string players, mostly because we can't hear ourselves play at work so much of the time. Yeah. And once you start separating what you're doing physically from what from what you can hear or what you're hearing if if that happens too regularly and you start to just lose the sense of how those things are connected yeah it doesn't take all that long either does not and it it's insidious it just sort of starts creeping in there until one day you realize you haven't heard yourself play for weeks you know and that that's a terrible feeling or even if you know you hear yourself play a little bit, but not not enough to overcome that. That's um, it's really because you're surrounded by people who who maybe have slightly different ideas of pitch than you, and you know the idea of a section is that everything sort of blends into one pleasing whole. But you know the fact is you're surrounded by by things that you can hear that are not you. There's no way to not lose sight of your own playing if that's all that happens. Yeah. And I am curious to to get some soloist perspectives here on this show too. We I have some folks lined up 
to, to get their perspective on this too, p- people who generally have the luxury of spending a lot of individual time practicing and then most of their performing is done individually too. For us, where almost all of our performing is in, in that group setting, the only solution really is individual practice, right? You've got to be able to hear what you're doing and yeah, and feel how you're doing it. Once you find that you're not doing that regularly, I think you'll yeah, you'll find that your your skills as a as a musician are starting to atrophy for sure. And now this the second part of this question. Um, but are there other? There must be other factors though. Before we go on, I well that, that seemed to be the most obvious. But um, yeah, I, I have. I think I have the advantage of you because in the thread, a couple other people uh, mentioned I, things. Don't interrupt your moderating anymore. Okay, go on. You should interrupt because I mean. They don't have all the answers. I, I, I think the, the people participating in this thread, if I'm not mistaken, they weren't full-time professional orchestral okay. players. So, well, why specifically in orchestra might one's skills deteriorate faster? Let's see, practically, um, you're playing, you're spending a good amount of time in your job at, you know, at work. You're not really in the mood to to practice when you get home. So there's there's that too. There's the side of, you know, just the time. Like for us, we we're taking care of small kids. We're we're going to work. It can be really hard to summon the energy to to get into the practice room after a long day. Yeah, um, and some of those days help your technique and keep your technique up. I mean, I remember some weeks, especially in Chicago, where it would be a whole program of Strauss and Wagner or something and I'd come home at the end of the day and I was like, wow, I just played for five hours in orchestra and it feels like I just practiced for five hours. This is awesome. I can it's play probably you. I, I, I think you're maybe more the exception. I, I, I think it's very easy also to, to come home after a day of Wagner and be like, I, I think I faked. Like, <laughs> Well, no, I'm not saying I didn't, you know, fake a, a bar here and there. Um, yeah. You know, while we're on the subject of faking, I don't want to get into a sensitive topic, but there's, you know... If, there are a lot of notes coming your way as a string player. Maybe you're not expected to get every single one, but that also starts to deteriorate things about your playing. Yeah, especially, I mean, if you, if you ever let that start to feel normal, which I know yeah. neither of us does yet. But yeah, I mean, if, if you allow that to, if you allow yourself to fall back on that, then that can really prevent you from ever counting on yourself to really to yeah. really hit anything when it counts. And the priorities as an orchestral player, they're a little they're different than being a soloist obviously, but you know, I I always say this about about playing an orchestra, it's you know, it's no good if you've got all the notes and you end a little bit after everybody else. That's yeah. completely worthless. I mean, what you have to do is to be able to have a sense of, you know, if you're struggling or you know, it's, it's a tough passage and you got to drop one or two notes and you just, you've just really got to keep the rhythm completely rock solid where, you, you know, that's the important thing is that you're, you're together, that there's ensemble. And, you know, if, if you fade out a little bit on a note here or there, because, you know, it's not, you know, in the interest of, of, of the ensemble, then yeah, I think, you know, that, that happens. And, but that's the priority, you know, and, and as you say, if that becomes normal, that's not good. Um, I think in sort of there's a slight inevitability there, I think, of starting to take a toll on your overall playing, probably. Unless you really actively counteract it and you're the opposite of that in the practice room. Right. And it's not it's not always that the orchestral way is lazier or um, you know, some kind of substandard technique. I, I always think of 
what we have to do to make a group pianissimo. The technique for that is for each individual to play almost so that they can't be heard. I mean, that's the only way to make that magical orchestral, you know, almost nothing sound. And that's simply a sound that a soloist would never and could never make because it's it's useless. I mean, nobody could hear it past. Well, not the that they couldn't, row. but they they not that they couldn't, but they wouldn't. Yeah, it, it's not it's not useful to them. In fact, yeah, yeah, they don't they don't want to do that. And so it's just those are different techniques for different situations. And in the orchestra, we actually have to take risks that would not be advisable for an individual player. If, you know, if people were listening to every single sound that you as an individual made, you'd play differently. And, you know, we take these risks because we know that we've got 16 people covering for each other. And overall, the effect is, you know, whatever it's supposed to be for the passage at hand. That's a factor for sure. Well, so for, um, for Helen, who asked the question, she said, is it true that they lose the being professional orchestra players, that they lose their technique because they are more focused on learning orchestra music than retaining the technique they built up when they were in a conservatory. And someone in that discussion thread makes a similar assertion that got to spend so much time, you know, keeping up with the repertoire week to week. I don't think that's true. I think that if you are keeping up with the repertoire on your own, that you're, you're doing pretty well. I think that that's not the reason. I think, I think it's much more what we've been saying about, either being so overwhelmed with the the hours and the in your everyday life that you just, you know, lose the energy to to go out there and and <laughs> really take care of, you know, your playing. Yeah, cuz we have to play. I mean, we we've got to play a certain number of hours a day a week, you know, forced playing in a group setting. Yeah. That doesn't sound so fun when you put it that way. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, and we're I mean, the interesting thing about this discussion thread is that I feel like we, we, we are sort of foreshadowing a lot of comments that other people have made. Um, and as I said before, I believe that most, if not all, of these other players are not full-time symphony players. I know there's one exception in that thread, um, and I won't be giving names for the comments in that thread. I gave Helen's name because she commented on my site. But my point in that is that I, I think professionals and non-pros often think very similar thoughts and have very similar worries about what's going to happen to our playing sure over time but yeah i think you're right that just learning the repertoire for me just keeping up with the music if i'm in good shape that goes pretty quickly i have to say i mean there are exceptions you know certain pieces that you're just not going to sound good unless you put in real hours on them right there i do i do think the LA Phil in particular, and I guess, I suppose orchestras in general are trying to program a lot more new music. Um, I don't think, I mean, between the LA Phil and other orchestras, it's not even close right now. So we, sure. We yeah. So I think we're of... probably learning a lot of, lot maybe a lot more new repertoire than a lot of other orchestral musicians and that. Yeah, I'm not, not at all to say anything negative about new music, but it doesn't, you know, they don't employ, a lot of the time it's not employing the techniques that you've um, acquired, you know, over the years as a student and you've kind of honed in your salad days. So, <laughs> I love that expression. Yeah, <laughs> really know what that means, just a bunch of, bunch of lettuce lying around. But I do think you're, you're practicing 
a lot of ponticello or, you know, a lot of weird harmonics. It's, it's, that's not necessarily going to help you in the way that, that playing scales and thirds and octaves, that's, it's not going to be that kind of technical training. That's, it's not going to strengthen that the physical aspects of, of, of your, of your left hand and your, in your bow arm that start to start sort of, you know, with age to start to go away. Right. Those so, things need more attention. Yeah. So if you to... do, yeah, even if you're really working on your new music parts, I think you still have to get back to basics once in a while. And Yeah. It's that treadmill. Well, yeah. I was thinking yeah. I, the particular week miles. I was thinking of when I said sometimes I would come back from work and feel like I was in great shape. I don't know if you remember the Yap Vens Vaden week here in LA and the program was, I mean, it doesn't get any more down the middle than that. Um, but Beethoven five and Shostakovich five, that was the whole program, <laughs> which is about the opposite of what we've been doing here for the last two months. But I remember at the end of those rehearsals and partly because he really demanded very particular sounds and particular ways of changing the bow or sustaining notes. You love that, right? I mean, that, cause that really makes you think it makes you start thinking about all the, the, the very fine points of your technique. Not oh, it just, does. Not just make a sound, but I want it <laughs> this this way, and I want I want to get loud right here. I wanted to, you know, I really wanted to disappear right away, or I wanted to, you know, yeah. those are those are great instructions because then um, you feel you feel alive as a musician. I think you you feel like you're this is what you were meant to do, you know. And he, you know, he's not the only one asking for those kind of things, but with his. Uh, his, zeal, his, shall his we say, personality, for yeah. That. yeah, his demanded those things. It was not, right. can you do this? It's, I need you to do this. But that combined with that repertoire, which combines, you know, a lot of scales and sustained playing, both of those pieces, mm-hmm. um, those things together, yeah, made me feel like I was working on my playing at the same time as... Sure. You know, not, and I didn't have to learn that music because I've we've both played it hundreds of times. Sure, and so your your brain isn't focused as much on getting the notes, and it's it's much more how you're getting the notes out, which is yeah, um, that's more like practice. Yeah, and that's probably another thing, right? That's like uh, if you're seeing so much new music all the time, you are focused on kind of the the too basic, like you're just getting the notes or getting, you know. Whereas um, real musicianship, of course, is is you know doing them with intent. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, that's a great word. And, and, you know, and seeing conductors who can do that, it's, I hate to say that it's rare, but it's, it's remarkable when we meet a conductor who can draw that out of everybody and who can, who can really make people feel purposeful while they're playing. They're not just, they're not just getting through music, getting through notes, getting through repertoire, getting through pages, you know? Yeah. Cause then it's more like the teachers that we had growing up. I mean, the good teachers, we only had good teachers, <laughs> um, you know, a good teacher, you know, they, they demand a certain end result, but then they're able to let you know how to get there too. And, you know, we would never at this stage in our lives, I'm sure we would shudder to think that our uh, conductors are our teachers, but you know, the good ones can be, and then it's like having a coach. And that's there that's the relationship practice. regardless of whether, you know, we really, yeah. Enjoy what they're saying. Whether we are like we're, it or not. we're beholden to their su- suggestions and their you know, ideas. Well, to to go on, to go on a little deeper in this violinist.com discussion thread, which I've linked to in the show notes, 
here are some other points that people were making and the discussion started to go toward, you know, what does it mean to be a professional, um, the differences between professionals and amateurs, especially, you know, talking about ensemble playing, orchestra playing. And I should say that the this thread started with a younger player basically asking, do I have a chance? Do I have a chance to make it as a professional orchestra player? And, you know, those kind of threads are almost impossible to really get to the bottom of. But um, the thoughtful responses try to get behind the person's thought process and kind of maybe see where they are and what info they need. So here were some of the comments down the, the thread and curious to know what your thoughts are on these. Here's a comment. I don't want to discourage you from orchestra. There are a lot of good skills to be gained from playing in an orchestra, but I found that playing ingrained a lot of bad habits, not having individual instruction at the time. So don't depend on an orchestra to grow you technically if you aren't being really careful with your practice. It seems like it's less harsh on your technique if you are starting at a really strong technical level. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a good... Yeah, kind of where you are when you join an orchestra, it's hard to make a a ton of technical leaps after that point. Sure. I'm trying to think of what I think has improved since I joined an orchestra and if it's because of orchestra. I mean, I, yeah, sure. If you're, if you're not working against it, there's a downward pull in orchestra. We've already sort of covered that, but I'm, I'm thinking, is there, you know, I, I've, I think I'm becoming more and more aware and it's nice sitting behind you a lot of the time sort of watching it as a little bit of a template for my playing and, and seeing where I don't line up with you. That's actually been like a big educator for me. If you know, if I should try sense. sitting behind you for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in sitting next to you playing, playing chamber music with you has also been, I think, I think all my cues look exactly like yours now, which, <laughs> or as, as, as exactly like yours as I can get them because they're very clear and they're, they're just great cues. So, you know, I, well, if you would ever let me see you perform chamber music, then well, then I'd be able to keep, keep wishing because it's not going to happen. But <laughs> that, yeah, for, for our listeners, I have a kind of sad little foible where I will never let Nathan watch me perform. Unless so. I sneak into the hall. Which I, yeah, he knows that he, <laughs> he would really be in trouble if he did that. So, um, so yeah, he's never seen me perform. And, and my reason for that is that I, I just, when, when the concert's over, I just want to go home and pretend that, um, you know, if it wasn't, if it wasn't good, maybe there's a chance it was somebody else's fault or, you know, <laughs> I'm sitting there going, nope, you screwed that up. It's all you. Well, anyway, so what, sitting behind you, and maybe this is something you can get from orchestra if you if you really respect a player or players you know around you people in the front you you know you when I, I hope to be that person maybe someday to somebody but you know for watching it sitting behind you I, I really I became aware that my um the length of my finishing notes and phrases is sometimes short I don't use enough bow and I know that from watching myself in the mirror play or listening to myself in your recordings but but, you know, on a, on a daily basis, it's nice to, to look and be like, yeah, I'm, you know, I need to stretch my arm out. I need to get a little more length on, on some of those notes. You know, because I think also in orchestra, you, you get so nervous about hanging over that yeah. you, um, you do develop the habit of cutting short a little bit. And I think maybe like that's where I've, right. 
maybe I have a natural habit of doing that that got exacerbated by playing an orchestra and, and um not you know not everyone can be the last person whose sound is coming out so you know to err on the side of safety you start to tighten up a little bit early on the on the ends of on notes and phrases and um that's tough that's that's hard on your playing you know because those things become part of your your solo your chamber stuff and um anyway so thank you for being a great example for me so that's i think that's one way in which if you're conscious of 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 things that um that maybe aren't feeling great that maybe feel like they're starting to take a little bit of a hit playing an orchestra if you're if the more aware you are then obviously the the better it'll be and, and you can take active measures to, to counteract well that almost sounds like an advantage that you have an orchestra if you are surrounded by enough players that you admire and who you can mm-hmm. look at you've got those hours and hours every day of people playing the same notes as you the same rhythms and you can study how they do it um, and that's something you wouldn't have. I mean, if you're, even if you had all the time in the world to practice solo repertoire, uh-huh. you know, the, you're not able to see anybody or hear other people right next to you doing it. But that really all depends on how those people play, right? So yeah. It's a and possible I, advantage. Unfortunately, I, not, to, not to say negative things about orchestral players in general or our colleagues, but um, I think it would be a stretch to say that you could be surrounded by by people who would serve as role models on a, on a regular enough basis that they would end up helping or playing. Well, to, yeah, to count on them at least as as role models for individual playing. Yeah. Sure, we'll, we'll call it a I stretch. I mean, and, but... and, you know, I hate to say it, but let's say sometimes there are things that you hear that you're like, I don't want to do that. And, right. You know, maybe that can help you. You can say, I'm, I don't, I can hear this as a tendency. That's true. And I'm going to not do that yeah and that that can also help too because yeah again if you're on your own you could slip into those tendencies never hearing them from anybody else and not recognizing how destructive they are yeah and this comment or this question too made me think of are there certain types of players who are less likely to lose their technique or or is is there a kind of training that you let's say that you might have had before joining an orchestra that would make you less vulnerable to losing technique. I, for me, it would be, you know, when I've seen really textbook players in orchestra, I feel mm-hmm. like, wow, that that's a technique that's going to last. Like it would be hard for them to just really go off the rails because there are too many and things textbook, going right. By textbook, you mean? Well, just bow arm is always at the right level. And you're making me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I no, no, I mean you're you're yeah, one of the. No, I look at you as as textbook, textbook. is not one of the descriptors. I, I would put thing. you in that category, but you know what I mean. There, there are players that sort of they sound great and they get by for a while, mm-hmm. but when joints get stiffer and and it's gonna you know it happens to everyone. It's you happening mean like to the us. quote unquote natural players who who never really had to work at it or? Well, that's tough because I mean there are some natural players that just naturally set up really well and they you know their textbook but whether you had it naturally or you get it through training well that's my question i i I, for you anyway i I do feel like there are certain types of players that probably lose their skills more slowly because their physical setup is just more consistent and they can weather those bumps and those 
bare patches of practicing more readily. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not well, sure if I can not. think of. I think we're all, I mean, sure, of course, some people are stronger players. Because the, the comment here was, it seems like it's being, meaning playing in an orchestra, it seems like it's less harsh on your technique if you are starting at a really strong technical level. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I was just about to say something like that, I guess. That, um, Sorry. There's No, 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 I was just thinking, I know of people who are very strong players who do seem to manage to keep things together longer. So, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that it's like a pile of money. You start, you know. <laughs> you start with a bigger pile of money, you end up with a bigger pile of money. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe it's like um, a big endowment with interest, right? Once you have a big enough pot of money, sure. and you can just draw right. off the interest and the, the principal. And I think we all think there. we're that player. <laughs> so <laughs> no, that's I'm, I'm the danger. You know, I think we all yeah. we all think a little bit that we're, we're, you know, now we've gotten to the point where we can live off the interest. And, uh, and a lot of times we're wrong, you know. Yeah, I I would say for sure. Yeah, you you can't. You can just never count on that. Yeah, yeah. But I I I would say yes. It's true. If you were a stronger player at the beginning, you are much more likely to retain strength. Yeah. So we'll we'll check off that comment. We'll say we agree with that. Another comment is also keep in mind what a professional means. It means you have to do the thing, and as soon as something is no longer a choice, it immediately becomes less free and enjoyable. I mean, this can be, this is a, a, a bigger topic too, but how, sure. how might it relate to keeping up your playing in general? Uh, if I you have to play. Say no. I feel that way about reading books. <laughs> I felt that I, once I had to read, it became less enjoyable and I didn't want to read. You mean like at, at Harvard? Yeah. And so okay. <laughs> I think I contributed to the, my lack of wanting to read now, but, um, Anyway, but more seriously, I feel, I think that I wouldn't disagree with that as a statement for musicians. I, think, I mean, um, we've for me, it's almost the opposite. I think if I'm not doing something that is at a high level, you know, not to say that you can't be a high level amateur, but um, if I don't feel like you know the the vista ahead of me is leading you know to the top or closer to the top, then um, then I I I, just, I you know I, I sort of don't really see the point and um have a hard time working at it. Yeah. And this maybe goes along with, with another comment. And th- this one is from someone who I know to be a full-time professional. Um, they said, I tell even my very best students, those for whom conservatory admission is a realistic aspiration, that they should only go into professional music if they can't imagine themselves being happy doing anything else in life. Is related anyway to what you're saying, where, I mean, you, you love... I mean, you're saying this is important enough to you, so important that you just couldn't do it at an okay level and, and still keep doing it. Yeah, and maybe that's um, egotistical when I think about it. But it, in general, I think we're the same. It's, it's hard for us to do something that we feel we're not doing very, very well. Right. Well, I, I think for both of us, that's ultimately what allows us to, to do it for a living. Right? Because if we didn't care enough and, you know... We've admitted many times that it can be a day-to-day struggle. I mean, there are certainly moments and days where I care less than other moments and days. But yeah, I think overall, I, I never stop caring about my playing. Um, I do have times where it's hard to see how, you know, it's, it's hard to see how my work life and my aspirations 
to be a better violinist. You know, those can that can be a disappointing relationship sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, it's something that you have to live with. And you might enjoy this comment, which I think speaks to that, too. I know I just I, I really love how these intersect, because as I say, most of these comments are from people that don't do this full time for a living. But it's so many of the things that that I think about. I think to enjoy music as an amateur, and this is talking about playing in amateur orchestras as well, whether mm-hmm. you want to call them community orchestras or maybe they're they're semi-pro, but the, the orchestras that give you so-called gas money, freeway right. philharmonics. Think to enjoy music as an amateur, one has to become comfortable with imperfection. You will play imperfectly, especially in performance. Pros play imperfectly too, but they beat themselves up for it much more. Your fellow musicians will play imperfectly. Sometimes these imperfections may collide into glorious near train wrecks, and you will pull off miraculous rescues and not derail. You have to find your joy in the music rather than the perfection of its execution. What's the question? No, that was a comment rather than a question. <laughs> That's not a question. Maybe. Um, I think it's a. it would be a lovely thing for those of us who are professionals to keep in mind as well that, that ultimately... Hopefully what's going to keep us going is the joy in music rather than the perfection of execution. But, you know, this commenter starts off by saying that professionals have to, we can't really live with the imperfection. Yeah, we're not really allowed to enjoy it, that's for sure. Yeah, so um, so that's a difference. And, and that's, I think, what drives the fear about losing skills. And Yeah, um, fear is a good word. <laughs> there, There is fear. Um. Yeah, I yeah that must that must be nice. I I guess I do sort of envy that, but it's it's hard for me to get out of the mind of the audience, which is kind of a big problem because you know, as I've discussed with like performance coaches or you know my performance coach, we cannot think about how you're affecting an audience. Of course, we want to affect an audience, but we can't sit there thinking how or if or we can't think of the particulars of that. Otherwise, you're getting into a whole area of things you can't control. So right. Um, See, so, yeah, that's hard. I think trying to trying to enjoy something, you, you know, trying to make it, quote unquote, as close to perfect as you can, you know, that's that is that is rough on your on your desire to keep going. We and friends of ours all struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that's I guess I really haven't really thought about that the the quest for perfection, or you know, that's that's um, that that definitely takes a toll on your psyche and and. And even you're playing, I think that, you know, it contributes to your lack of wanting to, to practice sometimes too, because it's like you're confronting that, you know, you're getting in there, you're thinking, I've got to make, I've got to work on this and it's not okay if I have a, you know, of course it's okay if you have a bad night of practice, but it feels bad. You're like, you know, am I that, am I inching toward my, you know, inevitable demise? <laughs> this is just like, you know, another a clear step in the wrong direction or something, you know? Yeah, and when you when you've staked out your identity as a professional, then when when you're saying you have a bad playing day, the, the natural thought and fear again is that that's going to lead to an even worse one. And yeah, so you, you've you've lost the thing that you've you're losing the thing that you've done your whole life, and maybe losing your livelihood too, if it gets bad enough. Yeah, I mean, I not to you know, take I've... us in a dark direction. <laughs> Yeah, and this is a whole other podcast, probably the psychological stuff, but it's like, yeah, sure, I, I sometimes I sit down to play and I think, I don't, you know, this is on me for not being more connected with my playing, but sometimes I'm like, 
I'm not really sure what's going to come out right now. You know, <laughs> by the way, I, I hope if there's like a podcast out there for professional pilots that <laughs> that they never do. I'm not episode sure how like I'm going to fly the plane today. Yeah, I really I don't hope hear that's that podcast. Ooh, yeah, it's, it's the arts. There's no right answers. Right. Thank goodness. But um, but yeah, I, I, I have those struggles, you know, and maybe being a professional is, you know, it's tough on your overall enjoyment because you are so hyper aware of, of how your playing is going. But we and also have, have to, to develop and we have developed ways to get around that, right? I mean, part of being a professional is, you know, the, this comment said that amateurs have to live with imperfection in execution, but I think so do professionals when, when it comes down to it. You know, we have a lot more performance opportunities. We have more regular performance opportunities, and that means more chances for imperfection. And let's say that our standards are naturally going to be higher because we expect more of ourselves that too means plenty of chance for imperfection, which we have to have to get around because otherwise we couldn't keep on performing while people are paying money to, to hear us. Yeah. And like you said, they're not out there noticing every last imperfection. And so we, we can't either, um, especially when we're playing in the group. Maybe that's, you know, that's what the individual practice time is for. And as you said, that's why we sometimes want to avoid that yeah it's like looking in the mirror <laughs> like really staring really in the staring mirror. <laughs> in the mirror and, you know taking note of every little little line that's starting to appear and going huh can i do something about that except you know you can't do anything about aging really and you you can't do something about your playing so right well to to start wrapping this up when we think about the natural life cycle of of people's playing, people's skills, our skills, you know, obviously the vast majority of us who do this full-time, you know, we started as kids. I'm talking about violinists, especially, um, started somewhere between the ages of four and 10, or maybe even four and eight would cover the majority. You know, I, now that I'm, I'm going to turn 40 in just, uh, uh, in just a few weeks from when we're recording this episode. So, you know, I, I wonder how much, since obviously I'm still getting better up to this very moment, I, uh, <laughs> I wonder how much longer I can keep getting better. Um, <laughs> and I, do, I think, you know, like we discussed this, I think I'm getting better at some things. I think I'm... Yeah. Although I was, you know, we both love Arnold Steinhardt so much, not only listening to his recordings, but having had some opportunity to get to know him a little bit and even to read quartets with him. How amazing was that? Um, yeah, because I was pretty nervous. Well, I was nervous. <laughs> but in his, you know, he's written a couple of books and, and keeps a great blog. I remember in one of them, he, so he was saying in order to practice five hours a day, you have to practice practicing five hours a day. And that at a certain point, when did he say he, he was saying something, some really young age, maybe 22 or something like that, where at that point, your capabilities are basically set. Yeah, he said the cake has been baked. <laughs> I know, and I, Ooh, I still rough. fight against that. I, I. Well, sure, some of the cake is <laughs> it's going stale, but you know. I remember hearing the same. Maybe thing the frosting. From... Maybe I'm working on the frosting. You know? <laughs> frosting isn't isn't totally set yet. 
Well, I remember hearing from Herbert Greenberg, uh, you know, former concertmaster of the Baltimore Symphony. I, I was a teenager, and I, I think he was taking this opportunity to scold me somewhat. And he was basically saying, yeah, your fingers are never going to get faster than they are right now. So, you know, what are you going to do to make them better? And I don't know. I, I feel I've listened to those old recordings sometimes. My trills are, you know, still pretty fast. So. <laughs> your trills are... <laughs> I'll, so for whatever that's worth, I'll pay like, any yeah. amount of money. Yes, well, yes, those trills are. Doesn't really matter if I pay really you something. money since it's just our money, but <laughs> I will pay you any amount of money. Be to like get Beavis your and Butthead giving each other <laughs> dollar bills. Yeah, that that is depressing. But obviously, at some point, you know, skills diminish, physical skills, mental yeah. sharpness. It's it's going to diminish at at some point. So I, the question that one other commenter was asking. You know, at, at what point do you need to have the skills to get into an orchestra, you know, if, if it's going to happen? Because I think this was the original question of the, the person who started the thread. And we, I mean, we should say right away, there's no exact or easy answer. Like 23. No. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, the in this comment, the person was saying at the point where someone wins an orchestra audition, they were most likely technically capable of winning that audition years before. In other words, you're not learning Don Juan and the Schumann Scherzo and everything else. And at the same time, learning all the techniques to play those pieces. You're not learning spiccato and learning fifth and 10th position and then winning the job right away. It's, you know, it's more that you've got those skills and then somehow. But but orchestral skills don't just involve Playing all the audition sort of. Right. Sure, yeah. But if the point is that you got those skills years before you ever joined the orchestra, mm-hmm. might it also take years before they start to diminish? Sure. But let's say I, you know, I got my job, my first job when I was 23. So, right. Um, I mean, is there anything you couldn't have done in that audition at age 16, 17, 18? I mean, weren't you playing... Sure. Big pieces. I, I could not. Yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't have the maturity to, even even I, six months before I got my job, I didn't have everything where it had to be. You know, that I'm. But I'm not saying technically. But your technique is, you know, it's also how you use it. So, you know, if you're rushing, if you're edgy, or sound gets, you know, rough when you're a little nervous, or those are all things that are part of your technique. And um, once you, you know, it may take you a few auditions to smooth those things out. So, you know, I, I don't know if I'm getting to the heart of the question or not, but I would, I would say that I was, I would be incapable. I think that I have, would have been incapable at 16 or 17 of winning a job. I'm not, I don't know of any 16 or 17 year olds that could win a big professional. But do you mean, do you need to be on the trajectory of being a strong player? I guess what I'm saying is you're absolutely right that, even if you have all those technical skills as a teenager, it, it probably takes years to get those other skills that you're only going to get through experience and constant attention. So yeah, does orchestra playing, this is to, to close the topic, basically. Uh-huh. Does orchestra playing maintain those skills, um, which are apart from the pure physical technical well, skills that's, that you okay, get so as a, that's an, I think, I think as a the, teenager? Physically, I don't think there's anything about orchestra that will they'll make your playing stronger. Mm-hmm. I do think if you're able to use your ear to your advantage, I think that can 
if you're always using your ear to make sure that you're blending, that you're, you know, if you can keep an ear on your sound, your own sound, while also being aware of what's going on around you. I think if you're using your ears skillfully like that, that I think that you can use that to your advantage. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's the, I mean, that's how we survive and hopefully, dare I say, thrive. I don't know. It's tough. You know, it's, I think that it's, I think that we have good ears, I would say that. And I think that's created so far a medium amount of longevity. (laughs) Remains to be seen. Remains to be seen, obviously. But, um, you know, I think we're doing pretty well. I mean, and, and you're, you're different because you're in front, you're, you're playing solos. You've got, you know, you've, you're practicing a lot. You're teaching a lot. You're keeping your your sound in your in your ear. Well, those so things help. This little sure. plan won't work unless you've got your sound in your <laughs> ear. If all you have is other people's sound in your ear to bring this full circle, then your demise is going to be much more rapid. Yeah. Not to use a sad word, demise. Your playing wise, the aging of your playing will will happen more quickly. Well, I think this was a great question, a great topic, and um, definitely explores the the heart of what we do day to day, and then away from the job too in the practice room. So thank you, Helen, for bringing my attention to that thread on violinist.com. That's a a good reminder to me to get in that practice room tomorrow. Yeah. Well, actually, you do. I mean, even tonight, we we had to put together two kitchen step stools, and so... You let me do that with the kids and you practice some chamber music. Let you do that while I, yeah. And you know, that's what it's all about when you've got three little kids is fitting your practice around them. Yeah. So You found 20 minutes to hear your own sound. And that's that's another thing, you know, it, just, it doesn't take, I don't think it takes a ton of time, but you do, you know, just, just to do it. It's like meditation. You just got to do it every day. We look forward to seeing you back on the next episode of Stand Partners for Life. <laughs> <laughs>